At Eastern Bank, we believe that growing business should also grow the community. That's why we work to give all business owners what they need to take their dreams to the next level. Our dedication to small businesses and communities has inspired us to create the Equity Alliance for Business program and become the number one SBA lender in Massachusetts for 15 years running. We're proud to be here for all businesses, big and small. See the good we can do for you by visiting easternbank.com slash business. Member FDIC. Welcome to Say More from Boston Globe Opinion. I'm Shirley Leung. Cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin were supposed to be the next big thing in money. Bitcoin is really the future of the financial system and the future of currencies. Every single day there is a crypto conference somewhere on the planet. In less than five years, Sam Bankman-Fried went from buying his first Bitcoin to becoming a crypto billionaire. But over the past year, the crypto industry has looked more like a house of cards. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is facing a slew of criminal charges this morning. An $8 billion shortfall. Cryptocurrency trading platform Coinbase has lost half its value in the past week. Crypto executives had high hopes for a rebound. Instead, they've been met with more forceful pushback and tougher government regulation. Will the crash lead to a necessary reset in the crypto system? Can it be saved? Is it worth saving? My guest today is Molly White, who's made a name for herself as one of crypto's most incisive and influential critics. Molly is a software engineer who writes a popular blog called Web3 is Going Just Great. Yes, she's being sarcastic. She's also a fellow at Harvard's Library Innovation Lab. Molly, welcome to Say More. Thank you for having me. So I want to start with the upcoming trial of Sam Bankman-Fried, the former head of crypto exchange FTX. He's charged with committing what prosecutors have called one of the biggest frauds in American history. What will you be watching for in this case? Well, I'm really interested to see the arguments that he and his defense team make during this case. We've gotten a little bit of a preview of it. But I think it's going to be tough for them to defend what happened at FTX. And I'm curious to what extent they're going to stick to Sam Bankman-Fried's story thus far, which is that, you know, he might have been inept, but he wasn't fraudulent. You know, he wasn't malicious. Or, you know, if they're going to take a different tack, you know, we've seen hints already that they may try to rely on an advice of counsel defense where... They will blame some of these actions on legal advice that they received. So that's something I'm really curious about. When did you start to be skeptical about Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX? There had always been a red flag in my mind with FTX just because of the link to Alameda Research, which is the trading firm that was also operated by Sam Bankman-Fried and appeared to have no real firewall between it and the FTX exchange, which is something in traditional finance you would never allow, right, because of the strong incentives for corruption and trading against their own customers. And so that always seemed really weird to me. But people in the crypto industry would sort of brush it off like, oh, this is crypto. This is just how things are. But then, of course, when things started to go south with FTX and there were doubts about the solvency of the exchange, 
I definitely became very concerned when Sam Bankman-Fried was tweeting that everything is fine, assets are fine, because that's something we see in the crypto world a lot just before something goes really, really badly. And so for me, that was like, oh, no, (laughs) you know, things are about to go really bad here. And so, I mean, what are the chances that this high-profile case actually forces the crypto industry to change? I don't think a case like this will force any change, honestly. Really? Why? Because I think that the crypto industry is very skilled at compartmentalizing when things like this happen. Mm. And there has been this overwhelming response to the FTX collapse from the people who are still bought into crypto or running crypto projects, which is that this was not a failure of crypto. Nothing in crypto was really wrong. This was a failure of centralization or individual fraudulent actors. And that's not us. You know, that's not the crypto industry. That's something totally different. And so I don't necessarily think that this criminal case will have much impact. Where I do think there might be impact is uh, the extent to which lawmakers observe this case, understand the types of things that went wrong, and perhaps step in to try to keep it from happening again in the regulatory sense. And also any potential precedent that we see from various related cases. So, you know, there's the criminal case against Sam Bankman-Fried, but there are also ongoing cases from regulatory bodies that could also be impactful. In June, the Securities and Exchange Commission, they filed charges against Coinbase and Binance. And uh, they're two of the world's largest crypto exchanges, um, alleging they were not operating legally. So with all these bad headlines, I mean, is, is the crypto industry dead? No. So the crypto industry is definitely going through a rough patch as far as its reputation. But this is also something that has happened before. You know, the crypto industry is prone to these cycles of enormous hype, like what we saw in 2020 to 2021, and then these sort of deep recessions to some extent. And this is not the first blow to crypto's reputation. You know, we saw the collapse of the Mt. Gox crypto exchange years ago that, you know, put sort of a cloud over the crypto industry for a while. But that doesn't stop the marketing efforts from uh, continuing, you know, from these companies trying to rebrand the crypto industry as something revolutionary and innovative. And so I would be hesitant to you know, record the time of death for crypto as sometime in 2022 or 2023, because it seems to sort of come back from the dead on a regular basis. Tell me a little bit of your backstory of how you first got into following the industry, because you're not, you don't have a financial background, You, you have a tech background, right? Right. Yes, I was a software engineer when I first was beginning to do this, and I was working on web software. And partly why I got so interested was because of that word, Web3, that kept going around. You know, I was hearing about how this was going to be the future of the web, and I've cared about the web. I I think the web is potentially, you know, very revolutionary. So I was like, great, sign me up. You know, I'd love to see what the next web will be and how we will get there. But when I started to actually poke at it and try to understand, you know, the technology that was supposed to be powering this movement, I realized that there was nothing there and that, 
you know, it was more a industry seeking to just, you know, separate average people from their money rather than actually make any meaningful change. So what is the ideology behind cryptocurrency? Why does it draw to so many people? There are some sort of competing ideologies, I think, behind it, but there are some common threads throughout all of them, which is that traditional finance is broken to some extent, and instead of trying to fix it or reform it, we need to just create something completely new that is outside of the control of governments or other large actors and that can be used by anyone who wants to use it without the fear of censorship or um, those types of things. And I think that's what's really appealing about crypto to some people. There are other people who are really interested in the more speculative side of things. They see it as a opportunity to get rich quick. And I don't think that we should understate the number of people who are interested in crypto because of that. Not everyone is ideologically attached to crypto. I mean, are there any aspects of crypto where you think, okay, I can at least see why it has such an appeal? Do you see any redeeming quality of, <laughs> of the crypto industry? You know, I think it would be naive to pretend that there are not major issues in the traditional financial world today. I think the problems that they've identified are very accurate and, and very real. But I think that the solutions to those problems are where things start to diverge. And I no longer really agree with the crypto industry on their approach to solving these problems. So how would you do it differently then? Well, I think that the crypto industry is prone to techno solutionism, which is really saying that we can solve any problem with technology. You know, if we just come up with the right technology, everything will be fixed. You know, I come from the technology industry. I was a software engineer. I know that the appeal of that type of argument that, you know, I can just write a, write some code or make a website and I'll fix, you know, global hunger or whatever it is. But I think it's naive. And I think that we really need to address the fact that a lot of these problems that exist in the world are really societal policy problems that technology can sometimes help to address, but is rarely the fix. I'll be back with Molly White after this short break. At Eastern Bank, we believe in good business. That's why we provide clients with a suite of products and services made to take their businesses to the next level. From express business loans to seamless cash management solutions, we make it easy to grow when the time is right. As a trusted full-service bank and the number one SBA lender in Massachusetts for 15 years running, we understand what you need to keep your business thriving. See the good we can do for you by visiting easternbank.com business. Member FDIC. In late 2007, the remains of a young woman from the Casca Nation were discovered in the Yukon woods. I always think about, I want to know what really happened. So I travel north to try to understand what happened and who was involved. It's a pretty big risk to come forward with the information that I have. I'm David Ridgen, and this is Someone Knows Something, Season 8, The Angel Carlick Case. Available now. 
So let's talk about proposed government regulations to rein in crypto. It seems like the government is being much more aggressive now. I don't know if it's too late or too little, but talk about what's on the table and and is it enough? So there have been some draft legislation in the U.S. around regulating things like stable coins, which are cryptocurrencies that are intended to maintain stable price. So a cryptocurrency, for example, that's always supposed to be valued at a dollar. Those have been being discussed fairly rigorously within Congress, although I don't know if there's been that much progress on them. There's also been a lot of conversation within the U.S. about the role of existing enforcers in this crypto industry, particularly focused on the SEC. Depending on who you ask, you will hear that they have done too little or that they have done far too much. Outside of the U.S., there have been other regulatory attempts to address the cryptocurrency industry. So the EU is attempting, at least, to create this EU-wide regulation. It's based on existing securities laws, but it sort of creates new classes for cryptocurrency rather than trying to declare, you know, cryptocurrencies as securities or or something that already exists within those regulations. I think it's a little early to say exactly how effective it will be, but it has been largely embraced by the cryptocurrency industry, which to me is a sign that it, you know, is maybe perhaps not as stringent as it ought to be. And, you know, with these with these regulations, you always run the risk that it will serve to legitimize the industry and encourage more people to get involved as they believe that the government is now protecting them as they engage in these types of activities. Before all the scandals, cryptocurrency seemed like it was on track to go mainstream. I mean, at one point last year, the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, said he wanted to receive his salary in cryptocurrency. Um, The government of El Salvador adopted Bitcoin as a national currency. Do you think there's a way for the crypto world to gain some of that legitimacy back? I'm not really sure. You know, there's some argument that with regulation, this could become a mainstream asset class that people really trust. But broadly speaking, I actually think that once the cryptocurrency has to comply with the same types of regulations that the traditional finance industry is subjected to, the whole business model will fall apart to some extent because so much of the crypto industry is profitable because of this sort of regulatory arbitrage, the ability to skirt the types of often expensive regulations that are in place for businesses that are transacting with traditional currencies. And so once regulation is properly applied to crypto, you know, the whole point of it, I think, kind of goes away to some extent. I think the question is, will regulations be applied before crypto is able to rebrand and do its next bull run? Like I said, you know, crypto is very prone to these cycles of enormous hype that happen, you know, every couple of years or so. And there's a lot of money in the cryptocurrency industry, even still. There are a lot of venture capitalists and other very wealthy groups that have vested interests in cryptocurrency becoming mainstream and becoming appealing to the lay public. And so, you know, whether or not regulation can outpace that is, is I think, the real question. I mean, 10 years from now, will we 
be even talking about cryptocurrency or will it go the way of meta and virtual reality, you know, where it was, you know, the next big thing in tech and then suddenly no one's talking about it? I think that we will be talking about digital assets in 10 years from now. The idea of, you know, having a proper digital representation of currency that you know, is maybe outside of the banking system or the credit card companies, uh, which is sort of an unusual way of, of, you know, tackling that issue today. But I don't think that cryptocurrencies will be how digital assets are implemented. It's frankly just not a great technology for something at the scale of, you know, a, a national or even global currency. Um, and there are far more appropriate technologies to be used for it. So when you say digital currency, are you talking about like Venmo and Zelle? I mean, is it is it that <laughs> simple, like online banking? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's the right concept. You know, the idea that not every dollar that you have is, you know, represented by a physical dollar bill somewhere. But at the current moment, you know, digital currency, especially in the U.S., is very much something that's in the realm of banks, credit card companies, fintech companies like Venmo. And it's not particularly well designed, I would say. You know, it's something that I think could use a lot of improvement. And, you know, something like a digital currency could potentially be the way of doing that. So there are a lot of investors in crypto and still and do you have any sympathy for all the people who have lost money investing in crypto? Absolutely. I mean, that's partly why I you know, started doing the work that I do is that I was really concerned about people who are being sucked into these types of projects with these promises that this is how they could earn wealth, you know, and, and actually make a better financial future for themselves. I have nothing but sympathy for a lot of those people. You know, where my sympathy begins to run out is with the investors who were quite accurately understanding that, you know, their best potential route to making money was by fleecing other people. And those were sometimes individual investors or more institutional investors. And, And for them, I have very little sympathy. But I think for the average person who really bought what they were being sold by the cryptocurrency industry and even by, you know, the media and you know, people who ought to have known better, I think. You know, I think that there were a lot of people who really got quite hurt by what happened over the last couple of years. And Molly, you've through the years have endured more than your fair share of trolls and internet hate. And when you first started writing this blog and I was just wondering, has that eased or or changed at all after the fall of FTX and other companies? It actually has, I think. Um, You know, as the crypto industry has endured this downturn, I think some people who were once a little bit more toxic and a little bit more resistant to people questioning the industry or raising their concerns have realized that there is value in people doing that. There's also a lot less of the sort of have fun staying poor mentality that was really common early on where people were, you know, trying to lord their crypto fortunes over you. Uh, That has very much changed in the last year or two. But yeah, I would say that, you know, a lot of people who got really sucked into the crypto industry and began to adopt this sort of toxic attitude have realized that, you know, that might not have been well-founded. 
So does this give you hope that the culture around crypto is changing? I mean, maybe it's growing up. (laughs) I think that might be a little too optimistic. Um, Like I said, I've seen some change, but the hallmarks of the crypto industry, the toxicity, the in-group, out-group type of thing is still very much present uh, and not showing too much sign of changing in the long term. I think that people become a little bit more subdued when prices are down and there have been these failures. But I think that, you know, if there is an increase in prices or if crypto as an industry comes up with a new narrative that they can sell to the general public, it'll be just a matter of time before that type of behavior comes back to the forefront. I know we've covered some of this, but I want to close by asking you, what is your ideal vision of the future when it comes to crypto? Would you like for it to just go away? Or is there a version of crypto you think could be a positive force in society? You know, I think it's naive to suggest that crypto would just go away. Um, You know, the cat's kind of out of the bag there. And I don't think that you know, there's a magic wand that can be waved to just make it all disappear from existence. I also don't necessarily see any potential future for crypto that would be broadly positive for society. But I do think there is a future in which crypto is appropriately treated as, you know, a speculative asset that is honestly more akin to gambling than uh, any sort of investment. And, you know, I think that people have a right to do with their money as they please, even if it is something that I don't personally think is particularly wise. And so, you know, I could see a future in which the promises of crypto to replace the financial industry have largely fallen by the wayside, but people still enjoy speculating on the price of a crypto asset or, you know, an NFT or whatever it might be. And, you know, that is appropriately regulated in the same way that the gambling industry might be regulated. So the future of crypto is in Las Vegas. (laughs) Potentially, maybe. Well, Molly, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, You make crypto so much easier for me to understand. Thank you for having me. Say More is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Anna Kussmer, with help from Scott Hellman, Jesse Remedios, Alexis Sargent, and Abby Kanina. Our editor is Jim Dow. Our engineer is Ariana Martinez. Maggie Taylor is our marketing coordinator. Our music is from APM Music. Follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Find us online at globe.com opinion. I'm Shirley Leung. Thanks for listening. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.